Cole's Jack's Loop Podcast, Season 1, Episode 13, Firefall. Hey, this is Richard Haddam. This is Mark DeWitziak. This is James Rice. And this is the Colshack's Loop Podcast. Podcast. Now go chase the truth like your life depends on it. Because it does. Shack's Loop Podcast. My name is Robert. I'm joined tonight with Bradley. We do not have any special interviews. <laughs> Figures Bradley's finally revealing what he has. He is so happy. What what size is that jacket, man? Uh, That's what I want to know. What are you wearing there? Ooh, I think it's like a 48L or something. Only a only a 48? Yeah. Seriously? Might be a 50 or no. Good lord, man! I can, I can probably only fit in like a 54. Oh really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Got it straight from the belt. Do y'all have belts in Kentucky? No, I don't know what that is. Is that a store? It's a southern store. It's a men's southern store. Well, it's got women's stuff too. But. Okay. But well, yeah. Good to know. So tell people what you're wearing then. I have my seersucker top. They didn't have the bottoms for them, so I have to find those somewhere. But uh, I have a seersucker top. Man, I had a had a good week. Uh, I finally finally watched Moana. Um. <laughs> You did. Yeah, finally watched Moana, so we did that. What'd you, what'd you think? Pretty good. I enjoyed it. Uh, went to a wrestling show tonight. Got some teeth at a wrestling show. I saw you, I saw your post about that. So this is a wrestler who lost his teeth who decided to give you some. No, he. So he's like a. He's based on a horror. Have you ever watched The Exorcist and Pazuzu the the demon? Mm, he's got. I have watched The Exorcist. So the Pazuzu's that demon. It makes a quick appearance on there. But he he bases his character on Pazuzu the demon, and he sort of adds a little face paint. But his his rationale is that you can use teeth and put them in other people's mouth because it's not technically a weapon since you already have teeth. So if you put them in other people's mouth, then it's not a weapon. Anyway, <laughs> that, that that logic uh, falls within the Prince's Bride, and it is certainly dizzying. <laughs> I don't get it. Man, what else did I That's okay. I got these this week, man. I got these in. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, uh, the the release of the movie, the Kino Lober, however you pronounce that, release of the full movie got me, the full series got me itchy. So I was like, man, I need to go ahead and just get these two to go with that because they look good on shelf together. So I got both the uh, Stalk, not Stalker, and not Strangler movies on Blu-ray. Have you, pre- have you pre-ordered the the uh, the DVD set yet or whatever it's going to be uh, it's, it's the series yeah I haven't yet but I plan I'm, I'm not either and I need I need to get on that because I want to make sure I get those uh, when they eventually come through but yeah I mean I I didn't like, like an idiot I didn't realize I had DVD commentary on the DVD that I have for the Night Strangler I it it probably is Blu-ray because I think the only um, DVD player that I have now is is uh, Blu-ray. 
yeah. as far as I know. But it's been a couple years since I've since I've watched it. Um, I didn't think the quality was that great. Uh, it's still for me still wasn't that great. But it maybe it is better. Um, and maybe I maybe I didn't have the the Blu-ray. I'm not really sure. So yeah. I'll figure that out at some point. But no, it's 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 a, it's a must-have. And oh yeah, I hear that the commentaries are pretty good. Have you listened to or watched the commentaries yet? Um, I got them in yesterday, so I haven't. Oh, uh, I okay. haven't even. We last night we ended up watching the. There's a 2019 movie called Midsummer. It was a it's like a Swedish horror movie where these people go to Sweden. And uh, and it it is weird. A lot of graphic sexual stuff. I mean, it's it's. Man, I really didn't know what I was getting into watching it, but it it's a bizarre movie. It's it's from the same person who did Hereditary, and that movie I watched and was sort of scratching my head. But this one, I was like, holy hell, what did I just see? And uh, but it it was it was very thought provoking. How about we say that? Um, but yeah, that was my weekend so far. Interesting, interesting. Well. I finished Loki. Ooh, yeah. And uh, so I watched that. I'm assuming you did too. Oh, you yeah. give me that re- reaction. Oh yeah. And I have I have not let myself watch Evil yet. Um, episode episode five, uh, only because I keep trying to finish our, our video that we've been talking about. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, if if things work, there may be a chance that we can watch it at at my work. Um, on a TV set, so that that'll be if I can I can just sort of cast it to that TV set. Yeah. And the rest the rest of my coworkers then can catch up during our lunch. So that's a possibility. If now with my lab being sort of back in order, I'm not sure what my lunches are going to look like. I'll tell you the truth, but anywho, yeah, kind of excited to talk about this episode. I will admit to you, Bradley, I was not thrilled at all to want to cover this one. Yeah, my my memory of this was that it was so lackadaisical. Um, it just you know, I, and not that it even was. Um, and here I go, I watch it, and and once again, man, I freaking loved it. I just I just loved so much about it, and um, I don't know, just for whatever reason, it's uh, I, I just I don't think I was distracted all the times when I watched these in the past. I really think I did pay attention to him because I was thrilled. I was watching Shack. but yeah. who knows? Maybe I was just off on another dog walk and never finished anything. <laughs> That's a good. It's a good possibility. So, all right, man. Well, what do we want to do next, man? So, uh, we don't have any news this week that I know of, or if there is, it it uh, it missed our purview. Um, so, mm-hmm. do you say we do the uh, the TV guide segment of the week? Rocket. This week, TV Guide's cover story profiles Jimmy Walker of Good Times. Good reading, TV Guide. TV Guide, segment of the week for the week of November 8th, 1974, of course. Uh, on CBS, you had Planet of the Apes, The Horse Race, the TV the TV movie, The FBI versus Alvin Karpus, Public Enemy Number 1. Uh, that movie from 1974. On ABC, you had Kung Fu, The Devil's Champion. You had the $6 million man straight on till morning at 9. Of course, you had our lovely Cole Shack, the Night Stalker, with Firefall at 10. And on NBC, you had Sanford and Son, Sanford and Niece, Chico and the Man Veterans at 9. The Rockford Files, In Pursuit of Carol Thorne at 10 o'clock, going head-to-head with Cole Shack, the Night Stalker, Policewoman, Flowers of Evil. So, uh, cool, cool on up there. <laughs> 
Flowers of Evil. It sounds like they were trying to steal one of those uh Shack titles. Yeah, it does. Um, uh, it's it's uh, it's an out there little little title. Well, someone else posted a recent um, TV guide, and I don't think it had to do with what was current for this week. But once again, Angie Dickinson was in there. She must have been absolutely the thing um, in the early to mid seventies because she was in some sort of film with Dick Van Dyke of all people who had a very dark black beard. And I think it was actually some sort of action mystery. I'm not really sure what it was, but the the title was a little provocative. So anyway, my girl, Angie, she was a cutie (laughs) and I guess a talented actress too. Got that going for her. She was in, I believe something with, um, Oh man, I'm probably getting this wrong, so I shouldn't even try. I think she was in something with Michael Caine that was a murder mystery that had some um, high praise, but I really can't remember it. But so, anywho, doesn't really matter, does it? Well, I'll tell you what is not a mystery, and that what is not a mystery is our cast and crew for this week. That is going to be, and that's where the zombie's going to be, and that's where I'm going to be. course we've got darren mcgavin as carl kolshak simon oakland tony vincenzo fred beer as Ryder bond philip carey as sergeant mayor david doyle as cardinal madeline rue as maria jack greenwich as ron update i'm now landing on greenwich for my pronunciation <laughs> of jack as opposed to grenage um we'll see i'm gonna go with greenwich Virginia Vincent as Mrs. Markoff, Alice Bax as Dr. Shuffle, Lenore Kasdoff as the girl, Joshua Shelley as George, Carol Ann Susie Howard as Monique Marmelstein, Carol Vizi as Mrs. Sherman, Patricia Estrin as Felicia Porter. And the rest of the cast, uh, Dick Cherney as George Mason, Ted Christie as an arcade patron. Gary Glanz as Philip, the stage manager. Chester Hayes as a stage manager. Martha Manor as Maria's client. George Sawyer as Frankie Markoff. Marcus Smith as as a man at the pool. And Walter Smith as another arcade patron. This was, of course, directed by Don Weiss. Produced by Cy Shermack. And written by Bill S. Ballinger. And, of course, this was based on the novel by one Jeff Rice. All right, now it's time for the other works by cast and crew. Fred Beer was Lieutenant Carter in the season four Twilight Zone episode Death Ship, The Outer Limits, and The Monsters. David Doyle was a director, musical performer, and actor in Charlie's Angels, Mr. Macy in The Miracle on 34th Street, and he was also in The Blue and the Gray, the new WKRP in Cincinnati, and he was a voice actor in Tailspin, Darkwing Duck, Goof Troop, Bonkers, Sonic the Hedgehog, Sesame Street, The Mighty Ducks animated series, The Blues Brothers animated series, and he's best known for voicing various characters on the Rugrats, including Grandpa Lou Pickles and Stu Pickles Sr. In Raglan, younger, since before you were born, imagine Stu in a face full of oatmeal and loading his pants. Madeline Rain was in Mike Hammer.
the Alfred Hitchcock Hour. It's a mad, 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 mad world. Star Trek, Circle of Fear, Starskin Hutch, Different Strokes, and the horror movie Fantasies. Virginia Vincent was in Tales of Tomorrow, The Return of Dracula. Brand new, all new, The Return of Dracula. From beyond the grave comes the dreaded Dracula, spreading corruption and horror wherever his cursed shadow falls. The, the Alfred Hitchcock Hour, The Hills Have Eyes, and The Invitation to Hell. Lenore Kasdorf was in Night Gallery, The A-Team, Covenant, Knight Rider, Columbo, Star Trek The Next Generation, Amityville Dollhouse, and they released so many of those anim- Amityville movies that it's just, there's, and there are a lot of them are bad, and Starship, and Starship Troopers. Joshua Shelley was a director for Get Smart, NYPD MASH, and was an actor in the 1980s Twilight Zone reboot. Dick Cherney was in the original War of the Worlds, Them, Cult of the Cobra, Playhouse 90, Mike Hammer, Invisible Invaders, Season 1 Twilight Zone episode, The Four of Us Are Dying, Alfred Hitchcock Presents, It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, Two on a Guillotine, Star Trek, The Invaders, Columbo, Shaft, Blazing Saddles, The Phantom of Hollywood, and The Godfather Part 2. My offer is this. Nothing. Ted Christie was the Wild Panther in season five, in the season five Twilight Zone episode, What's in the Box. Chester Hayes was in Cult of the Cobra. He was the Maku in From Hell It Came, which is a hilarious. Oh man, that that it's a horror movie, and he's basically in a tree. It looks like they made this tree outfit, just put it put it over him like it's a big cylinder, and just put him out, put it over him. Uh, I would definitely recommend checking that out. He was the ice cream man in the season one Twilight Zone episode Elegy. He was also in the Night Strangler and Columbo. And uh, George Sawaya, I know I'm mispronouncing that, was in Mike Hammer, Hands of a Stranger, The Time Tunnel, Star Trek, Moon of the Wolf, Blazing Saddles, The Red Badge of Courage, The Devil's Reign, Columbo, and he worked on stunts in Blazing Saddles, The Godfather Part Two. FM, Cheech and Chong's next movie, Escape from New York, and Blade Runner. Alrighty, so here we go. This could be story summary, story recap, however we want to uh, say it. Carl Tangles with a doppelganger with an arsonist bent. Once in the body of a mobster's fire guy, it jumps into a one-time Wunderkind conductor and now world-famous head of the Chicago Symphony. Problem now is the conductor's closest friends are dying one by one in what appears to be spontaneous combustion events. As usual, our fearless investigative reporter Carl Kolschak isn't satisfied with shoddy police reports and, like usual, everyone else is unconvinced Carl is right for once. He learns the evil twin must be returned to his original body, and and that has to happen back at the video game arcade, where the monster arsonist was murdered. Carl brings his corpse that Carl just dug up on his own 
and forces the evil spirit back into his dead body. All right. So with that, let's get into our the episode discussion. Where did he repaint it, huh? On the inside? I mean, that's where the windows are taped. On the inside? <laughs> You're one of the fellows who likes to hear himself talk, ain't you? <laughs> Um, and, and so I'll start off with something that has happened every week that I have just now noticed that I saw somebody put in the comments. I remember a couple of weeks ago, I'd made a comment about Carl throwing his hat when I think he was just wore out at the end of the day and he threw his hat at the wall and it just hit the wall and fell down in the trash can. Mm-hmm. Apparently at the beginning during the intro, that happens every single episode. He throws his hat against the wall, misses the hook, and it goes in the trash can every single time. I've never noticed it until somebody mentioned it in the group a couple of weeks ago, one of the Cold Shack sites. Yeah, I think that was always just the deal is that he's, you know, a happy whistling dude. And he's trying to, you know, uh, show a little bit of whatever you want to call it, talent, you know, yeah. um, athletic ability, marksmanship with a hat. <laughs> I don't know what you want to call it, but no, it, it yeah, it always drops. So, I mean, it's the same that. scene filmed over and over, but yeah. Yeah. Um, but anyway, getting into the episode, this episode started out with a bang because it, it has right up my alley. I don't know if you knew, I don't know if some of you knew this, but I, if I've got an arcade, got a, I'm sitting beside an arcade cabinet here. I like, I love keeping arcade cabinets in the house. I eventually want to get an arcade if I can ever fix the building out back up in order to run electricity out there. Uh, but I love arcades, so this is right up my alley starting out. Starting out an arcade, you know, had some, like, Charlie the One-Man Band and the Zoltan with the cool, uh, which reminded me of the Twilight Zone, sort of, with the, the little reader there. Um but I thought that was a cool setting for something, and especially 1974, whenever the first arcade games really didn't start becoming big until like 81 with like Galaga and, uh, you know, Space Invaders came out in like, I think, 78. So, I mean, this is sort of pre-video screen stuff. I mean, th- I'm sure there were like, I think, um, what was the university who was doing it? There was a university who had a big setup, but there wasn't any like home arcade or any arcade games in are you are you saying there was a university or something called university? No, there was a that. university who had set up like one of the first video games and like and people would come in and it, they they did it as like a, of course back then it wasn't really you know video games weren't seen as the way that they were now it's like hey this is like a, a feed in like computer programming, um, and yeah, I think they had it, like one of the you first. Know, uh, it it surprised it surprised me to see it because um, I'm I grew up in. A small town called New Albany, Indiana, which is very close to Louisville, just right across the river. And a ways up north, um, not directly, but there is a uh, resort town, which also, um, kind of like Chicago Mafia, uh, had potentially some mob connections at one yeah. time. <laughs> but it's called French Lick. Now, you may remember a basketball player of great prominence named Larry Bird <laughs> is from French, French Lick, yeah. Indiana. And anyway, the very first arcade that we ever saw was in this little resort, which honestly was already on its way down. It's probably the reason why we were able to afford to go to it. Um, and it had a bowling alley, and then it had Pong and Super Pong um, on, a, on a little console. Yeah. And so that was the first video game I remember playing. And this would have been in the early, mid-70s. Uh, so the only time that we went there when I was a really young kid, now we were able to come home and I think actually purchase that within a few months on, I guess it was an Atari system. 
And, you know, in the call, it basically was all the same game. But if you had multiple pucks on one, or multiple sticks on one side, then it was called hockey. And, uh, but yeah, no, I, I saw those games in there too. And I thought, man, that seems really um, highfalutin for them to already have those games. So were those Zoltan ones that were available back then? Do you have any idea? Did they actually have like the video component to it? No. Like, it how was, did you interact on those things? I think it, it would punch out a card. It would. He would pretty much. The, so that was just yeah, simply ins- it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And even okay. and even before this, like pinball machines used to be, you'd just pull the little plunger and then it would hit a ball and you didn't have any control over it. And then they got like in New York especially because like you were talking about the mafia got involved. They banned pinball machines for like 40 or 50 years i think and then eventually they started adding the bumpers and the the uh you know the little uh, things to hit them with at the bottom so you could actually control it and they sort of changed it from the i listened to hmm. a whole audio book on pinball and it was pretty no, interesting that's pretty cool um yeah my 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 cousins were lucky enough to get a pinball machine and put it in their basement and so that was always a very fun thing for us to play and we at least learned on their system now that wasn't because of any extra flippers, but we at least learned how to trap the ball when it would come down yeah. and you'd stick the flipper up and then it would be, you know, trapped and held and you could play it again. Um, I don't believe it had any special um, things that you could shoot into, but man, it's been forever since I've yeah. played that. It's been a good 30 years or more. Yeah. So pinball was banned from the 1940s until 1976 in New York City. Um, Wild. So. It, yeah. Is it because there was there gambling? Yes, that was going on I, with it. Well, so was that the deal? So well, they banned it because of that. It was unfair, or sort of. It, they didn't really. It was sort of like they'd pay money to do it, and then all, the ball would just go, and they would just see it hit, and then okay. it was sort okay. of pers- it, it sort of like got lumped into some of these gambling machines that even though it wasn't really gambling. So I think it was just gotcha. people sort of like whenever the so you weren't getting you weren't getting like your full play. Which you never really felt like you did anyway yeah. back then, so I, yeah. that that makes sense. Um, okay, but yeah, yeah, um, and I think it just got sort of cool. unlucky time and getting lumped in with some other actual gam- gambling machines and people not understanding what's going on, like they, you know, the whole console wars in the nineties. I mean, there's a lot of stuff like that. But uh, so a man is murdered in the arcade, and we see his body's journey along the road, uh, with that nice little uh, procession they have. And, you know, got the great, I love the, like, sometimes the music will just be so plain and then you'll hear like fuzz guitar and some jazz, like just out of the blue in the background music. Um, and there's a picture. That, that was some, that was some really somber, yeah. you know, music that they flipped into for that funeral procession. And then, so, so how does a, a mobster get a police motorcycle escort <laughs> to to his funeral. That's what I don't understand. Yeah, especially in Chicago. Um, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with that. But I did look up for, for later when we talk about social environment and stuff. I just put a link on there. So you may not have seen what I did. But I did look up like the history and a timeline on the mob in Chicago because I was curious about that. Yeah. Um, but, you know, and then we finally see the composer in bed and – uh, it has the the shot of the Hollywood Bowl above him, which I, I guess is is like a I know the Doors played there in the 60s, and it was also used to host concerts like for you know 50, 60 years before that. So you know the the, the big mirror pool in front was a big thing, uh, and we see our first person spontaneously combust in bed, and that this I didn't know what to expect going into this episode. I had no idea because because I I will write down the usually all I do is write down the monsters and write down you know. 
uh, like information like the cast, but I had no idea what was going to happen. So when he combusted, I was like, what, what, what just happened here? So that was like just a big, like, Oh, Oh, we're not dealing with something. Uh, we're not dealing with uh, any ordinary, you know, any, any run of the mill thing he's already dealt with. Right. So back, back to that initial scene where they're showing that guy in bed. Um, it, didn't it look like there was a picture of the conductor that was on his wall? Did you notice that? No, I missed that. You, you could be. Yeah, that. I'll, 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 I don't really care to look back at it, but that's maybe that I think there was. So there's, there's a possibility there was for that, but. Um, I just thought that was kind of weird. It's like, oh, so you've got a picture of the conductor on there. I could have sworn that's who it was. It could 100% um, be, yeah. Because I, I think yeah. all, everybody that was attacked was his he, friend, yeah. Does he see the, an image of the conductor in his window or anything like that before he spontaneously combusts? I don't remember. Do you remember? I don't remember seeing it this time. I, I didn't see it till yeah, later. I don't either. Okay. Um, But uh, so, and then, of course, uh, you know, good acting cues by the dog here to whenever she's walking by to bark as you know, that's what it was. Yeah. Right. Cause right, the right, dog right, saw right. him, right? The dog saw him down the hallway. Well, well the dog and the woman. Yeah. I mean, the woman yeah, then yeah. eventually, you know, says that she saw him too, but then the dog was the one who was the most spooked by the whole yes. thing. And if you can picture that little dog for all of you out there who listen to me talk about whining about walking my dog all the time, <laughs> if you can picture that tiny dog pulling on that, that leash, that was the good first five years or so of my life with an 85 pound shepherd pit bull mix <laughs> who at 85 pounds felt like he was as strong as if he was 385 pounds as he could basically pull me around. Um, but yeah, I, I felt for that old lady <laughs> like, you know, like you would believe when I saw that happening and, and you know, and the best, I think the best thing about that eventually is when the police come in there, you know, we see Carl, um, angering the police and, you know, that, and they, they don't give a, a good job of giving all the details about the, the death and what happened and they're not yeah. letting him be involved. But then Carl's able to notice that the woman comes in to be questioned and immediately inserts himself into the conversation. <laughs> and, you know, once again yeah. is, is shown out the door by a captain telling another police officer to pull him out. And then what does he do when he falls or does he fake that fall? That's what I'm, it, that was kind of bizarre. He, I don't know if he runs into a, um, a poker or whatever it was. Do you remember that scene? So the police, police guy is getting, he says, police brutality. And the next yeah. thing you know, he falls. I, I couldn't, I didn't, so I couldn't tell what that was from. I think he just, I think he's just being cold shack and I don't know if he, if he meant to or not, but I remember him falling. Yeah. I thought it was funny him making the dog noises to the dog and talking about the dietary habits like you talked about. Um. Yeah. <laughs> Always take Randolph out for his nighty night stroll. From 6.30 to 7. Well, that sounds like an awfully long time for such a tiny little dog. Is he con... Well, I mean, does he have a blockage problem? Yes. Oh, but he's much better. Yes. Well, have you tried any mineral oil? That sometimes helps. Oh, now, Kolchak... Oh, try anything without talking it over with the vet. Yes, you're exactly Turner. Right, of course. Turner! A little exercise. What do you get Kolchak out of here? I said we even got the line of the wonderkind of music. Uh, what does that remind you? The wonder, wonderkind. Wonderkind. Now, and of course, if Daryl, once again, who doesn't listen to this podcast, um, <laughs> he was like, wonderkind. How do, how do we say that again? <laughs> we, that went on forever. But that was like, then I was just watching 
um, Kolshak around that time when we had that episode of the, of the Twilight Zone with Jordan Peele. And that's when I heard Carl say, the Wunderkind. And I was like, oh, thank goodness. Somebody's <laughs> saying it correctly. Because <laughs> I think you mentioned that in the episode as well. But he goes and talks, he goes and talks to the conductor, of course, uh, who don't believe him. And then, the, Well, but again, that's that's the thing. He, yeah, he, yeah. Ha, he finds out about and the conductor splits. because he yeah. waits outside of the um, – and he waits in the hallway because he found out that the woman always walks the dog at a certain time. The only yes. way I would have played that scene differently is if he would have looked at his watch and then leaned up against the wall. Um, yeah. That's the only way I would have done that differently. But it was, I guess it was pretty obvious what he was doing. And, you know, and then he's able to beat the police to get there. So that, that I thought was some great cool shack ingenuity um, as a reporter. Oh yeah. And uh, so he meets the conductor and of course the, uh, the police captain comes in right after he does. And his assistant even came in. So what I didn't understand. So his assistant comes in and says, and says, "Oh, I got you know, I g- I gave you an urgent message 15 minutes ago that, and he doesn't remember it. So, were, was that supposed to be like the the doppelganger that got the message? But he said he didn't leave his room, so it had to be him. I don't, I didn't get that part. Yeah, I, I didn't understand the full scope of all of that that exchange, and I did actually play it back again to try to watch it. And I don't know what was happening if I was um, getting distracted back and forth, but there, you know, there was jumping forward. There's that thing where Carl thinks he's talking to the conductor. Yes, but that was pretty clear that he wasn't. Yeah, right, right. But then the guy just disappears. So, yes, was this an instance where he does that? But we don't think we we didn't see that. Right. This is just this person reporting it. Yeah. Or or just saying it happened. Right. Well, his assistant said he came in his room and already told him Unless his assistant didn't come in the room and saw him on set or something. I, I don't know. Um, yeah, I got a feeling he was talking to the doppelganger. He, yeah, that could would be my thought. That but could then, be. But, you know, what What I don't think was necessarily clearly established in this, I mean, did, did the conductor need to be asleep himself? In order for this doppelganger then to be able to go attack people? That's what it seemed like. But it seemed like some of the times he was conducting so he wouldn't have been asleep. Exactly. And then and then when Carl eventually finds out the name of the mobster who got killed and is, is piecing all this yeah. together and goes and visits his, um, um, his widow... Mm-hmm. Uh, and how'd you like that, that, uh, sort of mobster gal accent that oh, yeah. widow used to yeah. talk in? I was like, Oh man, they were, they went for it. Oh, and then the, pi- the pyromaniac yeah. son set in weird as Col- as Colsex walking out, he's got a fire like set in two different bowls. Yeah. Weird, weird, weird. But yeah, she, you know, she said that, and, and it really sounded, it, it's, it's funny. It sounded like, you know, a real life, um, Hollywood mobster wife or whatever those, those shows are where she's like, yeah, you know, he was, he was a certain kind of guy who he just kept to himself. He did a lot of sleeping. So I didn't really know much about him and she was married to him for six years. I thought that was crazy, but yeah, it's, it sounded, it sounded like that, that particular arsonist, um, did what he did by sleeping. And it makes me wonder if he even knew he was doing what he was Uh. doing. If if could that have been like his special talent as an arsonist to do all these fires and he somehow knew it and because you know the when they show the doppelganger 
there at the end, jumping ahead tons. But it, it is the arsonist that they show, right? Who has to return back to his Yeah, body. he returns back and then he sort of slinks in the floor, yeah. Yeah, it kind of makes you wonder if he's the one. Um, we got to mention something still when we get to that about the way Carl um, tells the guy to get back in and return and how he sounds like a fire and brimstone preacher as he's doing it, almost like, almost like someone from the, the exorcist saying the power of Christ compels you, you know, Max von Sydow or something yeah. like that, you know, yeah. doing what he did. I mean, I love that scene that they may have sold the whole thing for me. That final scene, I literally got goosebumps listening to Darren McGavin, give that little thing. But yeah, anywho, I've, I've made a skip around so much, but essentially we're in there when Carl's talking to the conductor, the police show up, and Carl, you know, does these funny little bits of introducing people and then just runs away. Yeah. And, and I love the, uh, so we get to INS and we see, uh, Carl chiding Tony about getting burned in the housing market. Cause Tony comes up and he's like, uh, and he says, you know, Carl says something about being puzzled. And he says, be puzzled on your own time. And then Carl starts going into him about, about all that. Uh, and he says he's forgot. <laughs> and then, you know, of course, Jack Greenwich, amazing, uh, or however we want to pronounce his last name, coming in is Updike. You know, he talks about, uh, oh, you know, if we need to do a story on, on, you know, uh, Ryder Bonds, I, I'm, I'm the man for it. And, uh, and then he says something about Bach, Beethoven, and, and Bernstein. And of course, Carl, I've forgotten about Bach, Beethoven, and Bernstein, and all this stuff, just to, just to put a little, a little jab on the side of Updike, just to make him think he don't, you know, care about all that. Uh, and then we get another, we get a little, um, a joke that probably wouldn't fly today. I, I, I took this as like a, uh, a, a, a homosexual joke where he, where Ron says that if he was a musical, if he was, that he was a, uh, he had a musical history, he should be the one to cover it because in any musical story, because he played the French horn to which Cole Shack replies, I would have guessed that. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't think it has anything to do with, with uh, sexual preference. Um, they're, they're definitely now could, could people take those leaps back and forth? I'm thinking about when I played in the band and if there, um, were people who played the French horn, it was never necessarily thought of as a manly or a masculine, (laughs) you know, instrument. And, and I'm sure that's what they're playing on, uh, with that. I think it easily could have been, I don't know, the oboe. Or it could have been, you know, something else that, or the flute or something. But, you know, it's funny. You got Jethro Toll, the jazz flute, you know, Ron Burgundy, yeah. the jazz flute. Yeah. Um, you've got, uh, you know, Benny Goodman and all these other people who played the clarinet and played it amazingly. So, yeah, I think that the French horn got a bad rap, but uh, <laughs> it, I, I don't know if they're necessarily doing that. Do we know, though, this is a funny question. Not funny, but peculiar one. Do we know, is is Ron married? Do we ever hear Ron talk about having a wife? I never looked for a ring no. on his hand. He, he doesn't. Or anything like that. So maybe that is an angle that they're playing. And if they are, uh, that's fine. I support it because Ron's a great character. Yeah. I, I love everything he does. So if, if that's the case, they did that, that that's fine with me. And it, it didn't seem particularly mean-spirited, but yes, it's making fun of it. That wouldn't fly today at all. No way, sir. No. I don't think so. Um, no. And speaking of that, uh, there was a, one of the ghostly figures of Ryder uh, 
ends up coming as one of the French music groupies combusts by the pool. Uh, and then that's when we get the next scene of, uh, of the police checking on everything. Of course, Carl being Carl finds his way to the scene again. Uh, and then one of the guys said, I was a numb and never saw anything that bad. <laughs> that was horrible. Yeah. Because they were, they were torching people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, flame floors, flame, flame throwers occurred, uh, world war two, I guess. Cause you know, they used them when they stormed the beach of, yeah. um, uh, Normandy. So, I mean, that very well could, but anyway, yeah, I was like, whoa. Now, here's a funny one that I remember on one of the Kolshak sites is that people thought that that guy who was in that scene was Tom Berenger. Um, now, really? you may or may not know. Yeah, they just, I was like, he, he, oh, he's he's a muscular guy who has a tough yeah. voice and a, a blocky kind of build. Sort of slick and, back and, hair. Yeah, 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 but 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 no, I mean it's not Tom Berenger, but it just reminds me the the ridiculous firestorm of comments that occurred recently in one of the Facebook sites when it came to Darren McGavin's toupee. Man, I saw that. It exploded, man. <laughs> I I I probably tipped it off a little bit more <laughs> heated because I kept thinking he never wore one. You know, I'm bald myself. My dad used to wear a toupee. I know I've got an issue with it. I've never, I wore one once. It actually was a Ron Burgundy Halloween hairpiece. <laughs> and I looked so good in that daggone thing that friends who knew us for a good 10 years did not recognize me at a party. Really? Uh, because I wore, yeah, I mean, it, it was a costume party. It was a Halloween party. I was going as a tennis player and my wife and, you know, we and honestly we made ourselves look so good in this party that no one really thought, well, what are you? Who are you? Like, why are you somebody different? But as it turned out, it was the, the whole gag was the fact that I was bald and I was wearing a wig, but it ended up looking so good. It honestly looked like my hair looked when I was in my teens. <laughs> so anywho, um, yeah, I just wanted to ask, does anybody really know that he was bald. I mean, everybody says he was, and they, they say they pointed out, but is that really, you know, so, and of course, Mark <laughs> Dewitziak chimes in, I think, cause I put his name on, uh, one of the, the things that I posted and he's like, guys, seriously, all this about a hairpiece, here's what I know. <laughs> and then he lays it out for, for everything that, that he knows about it. And, uh, and I'm okay with it now, but you know what? I mean, my gosh, Ted Danson, on Cheers wore a toupee yeah. for, you know, a long time. And if you think about it, you know, actors have to wear makeup. They have to wear things that fit their yeah, character. Man. And, and yes, I guess Carl, and maybe McGavin is the person who came up with the hat and wearing it because he did want to protect yeah. his, his, you know, receding hairline. Um, I don't know. But uh, anyway, I thought that was pretty funny. So I got us pretty sidetracked on all that. Stuff. Oh, no, Sorry about that. I think it was a fun conversation. I don't know when we would have had that conversation either. Uh, but but that was a good place to have it because I remove. So we're, we're recording this. So I'll remove it right now. I am due to go to the barber. Usually, usually I like to use my own clippers and just shave my head completely. My wife doesn't like it. I love it when it's like that because then I can just throw sunscreen oh, yeah. on it and go do my laps in the pool. I love it like that. Actually, that's that Facebook picture I have is when I did used to just shave it all the way. Anywho, yeah, Bradley, bring us back on track. So Carl, being being dare. the man that he is, snopes around, you know, hears everything, and uh, 
and gives the, you know, I think he even gives a little bit of the business to the, uh, to the, to the captain talking about arson and get setting his facts straight and, uh, help Kolshak down the stairs. He, he tells him, uh, and, and then we get Kolshak running back to INS man. What he has a very interesting little run there. That's like, I, I don't, I don't, it was fun. Do you think he played that for comedy? That had to be for comedy. Just the way he ran, it was just fun. It seems it seems like he's avoiding a couple things that aren't there. So yeah, yeah it it does seem a little bit affected, and he is pretty bow legged. So I think that may be part of it. Uh-huh. Um, when he's running, and then um, McGavin was always known to be a very fit actor. Yeah, and um, you know, of course, he played tough guys with with the Mike Hammer character, and prior to that, played. Um, a lot of police cops or, you know, police cops played cops or played, um, sergeants in the army with that Jan Michael Vincent movie. But anyway, yeah, I, I don't know, man. He, he did. I think a big part of it is too, is he didn't want to just look like any normal guy running. Yeah. And so McGavin, you know, he's got all these things. He still has that, that tape recorder. He still has his camera, which I got a note about that like, later. dangle around him. Hmm. I've got a note about that later that I thought was weird. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's part of his costume, and I think it it's kind of like, um, you know, when you're a st- I, I'm thinking when you're a stage actor, you will tend to always be big. Um, you'll always sound really loud. Yeah. You know, you're you're talking to a big crowd, as opposed to when you are in in TV or in a movie and they're close-ups, and you're very quiet, and you know, you're just you're you're selling a different intensity in these moments. And I think it was just a long shot of him. And so he was going to play it up. So he looked like something, but I, I think that's very astute of you to notice how his run looked a little weird because I just noticed it and let it go. But yeah, I think you're right. Could have played it up. Yeah. 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 Like, I don't know a little bit, a little bit about running. You know, you got to have your hands like you're holding little shot glasses when you're running that. I know that's what our, what we always were taught. But, um, so and the, my useless information of the week segment uh, we get the shot of Tony in his office, of course. Uh, Updike is there giving, you know, telling on him. Old, old tattletale, old tattletale Ron's in there. But uh, we see a picture hung up, a huge blown-up picture in Tony's office that features the Lakers. Uh, and I couldn't find the exact picture, but if I had to venture to guess, it looks like Jerry West. looks like it had the number 44 on it. And, and, I, and I'm guessing it was Jerry West of the Lakers against Walt Clyde Frazier of the Knicks going up for a ball in the 1973 NBA Finals. Uh, the Lakers won the title the year before against the Knicks, beating them f- four games to one. But the Knicks won this series four games to one, with every game being decided by less than 10 points and four of those five games being decided by less than five points. So a close series. But, uh, I mean, a, a, it was just a cool picture I, I saw, but I couldn't find the exact picture. But it looks like I know one team for a fact is the Lakers, but the Walt Clyde Frazier oh, yeah. is a complete guess because the, the uni- it's sort of darker. So the uniforms are probably a dark navy. Like the Knicks jerseys were, and I'm guessing since they were in the finals mm-hmm. with them, that'd probably been the shot they'd have put up. Yeah, I'm wondering when did when did Kareem join the Lakers? Uh, he was at because the Milwaukee Bucks me, at this time. Yeah, I know. It looks to me like it's someone doing kind of like a sky hook. It could have been the Milwaukee Bucks for all I know. No, I mean he's in he's in it's definitely in Lakers uniform. Oh, you're talking. Oh, I thought you were talking about the other that. guy with him. Yeah, it was. No, no. Yeah, just the picture that I'm seeing in there. So Wilt was there. Wilt was. That's that's who I was thinking it was a Chamberlain 
But who was in the Lakers? Yeah, he was there. But it looks like the numbers are 44, and he looks white, and he's going up for a ball. And I was looking at footage to try to find it, and we Jerry West looks a lot. Uh, he looks a lot bigger than you you would think for a point guard. But I think he might have been going up. He would have probably been guarded by Walt Clyde Frazier if I had to guess. I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure either. But that's this all speculation. Is, uh, that's a rabbit trail that we've went down. I'm, I'm going to keep going on it as we talk. <laughs> I want to know. Well, I'll keep us moving uh, moving ahead. You keep us moving, and yeah. I, I promise I won't. So he tattles on Carl, of course. Uh, you know, Tony's going to come out of his office. and <clears throat> Sorry, excuse me about that. And right. uh, he, he comes out, and they're talking. Ron, what is this? He pulls, it, pulls the paper out of his typewriter and looks at the story. He's like, Ron, we can't be typing this about such a, you know, a, a dignified composer and all this stuff. And, uh, and, and Ron's backing up Tony about this. And, and then Carl just is, is, he gets real stern. She is currently inhabiting an urn. He says that during his, uh, his retort back to him. Uh, Ron says he could wrap up. And this is funny. Like even when Tony is on Ron's side, Ron will just say one thing sets Tony right back off on him. And, and, yeah. and it just, yeah, completely. It's just like, you know, cause Ron, Ron, I can write this, I can write it up. And then Tony replies, clearly annoyed. Yes, but short and sweet. Don't hand me any Elizabeth Barrett Browning, <laughs> which if you've ever read any of their poetry, you will uh, understand that. right Oh, away. no, Ooh. I completely understand. Yeah. You know what I, what it reminds me of yeah. is I won't say all the, the cussing that occurs, but Walter <laughs> and Donnie. In the Big Lebowski. Oh, and yeah. you know they're they're talking, and and it's it's different because Walter, in every single instance, tells tells Donnie to shut the f up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, and like you're you're like a child walking into a movie theater with no frame of reference, and you know it just goes it goes off on him constantly. But it is you 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 nailed it. Is that there are these moments where Tony just lets Ron say a couple things, and then he eventually triggers him. Talk about. Uh, our interview with um, Rodney Barnes <laughs> oh. and and being and being triggered. I mean, Tony just gets triggered, and uh, I I will say it's it's funny. I almost sent an R dot 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 to oh, Rodney as in our dog uh, when I was trying to contact him just recently, and I thought, no, don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't want him to to literally you know go off on me because of that. But anyway, um, yeah, if you guys haven't listened to the conversation that we had with uh, Rodney Barnes, and it does have some Kohl Shack stuff in it. it. There is some quality Kohl Shack in it, but he, uh, oh, what a guy. So, so fun to listen to. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things where I think our interviews, we need to, I, I like to get to know the person, and, and I think it's important for people to know what they do and what they write before we, because even with Rich, I know we covered some Cole Shack, but we covered a lot of his other projects, and eventually now we're working towards doing something, something with him and Rodney that is Cole Shack completely, you know. Um, but moving along, uh, Carl's falling after Tony, and, you know, I, you know, Tony, you know, trying to explain things, and, and and then Tony turns around. Maybe you write about your un, your employment here. One of the biggest swindles in memory. When you get when you get back to the swindle and fraud stories, write about how you're employed here, which is one of the biggest swindles in memory. Tony, did you listen? Carl gets the door slammed in his face, and to that he grabs his hat and his things, and he's out the door. And Tony, of course, following after him, uh, actually says his name right uh, when he asks, you know, because. He he asks what he said. I think Carl says something, or he asks what he said, and then he asks what he said. 
you know, Col Shack, what'd you say? And then he, he just leaves out. And then, yeah. and then he angrily says it wrong twice. Um, see, oh man, Simon Oakland. Jeff's kiss, Simon Oakland. That what? What? You just love Simon Oakland, don't you? Simon Oakland, he he could be the star. I love. No, don't get me wrong. Love Darren McGavin. Darren McGavin's amazing. I'm not taking anything away from him. But Simon Oakland, man, Simon Oakland is the the dude in this in this for me. Like I love Simon Oakland. He does these little nuanced things that you might not notice, but when you do notice them, and if you do notice them, man. you know, I, th- I actually thought about this uh, once again on a dog walk. Dreading, dreading life, walking my dog over and over and over again. But um, thinking about Kolshak and, and and thinking about the Jeff Rice Memorial Scholarship that I want to do, and, and it's probably because I saw what Daryl put out for entering the fifth dimension and the Serling Fest that is happening again yeah. in October. If any of you guys are fans of Rod Serling and you would like to go to Binghamton, New York, in mid-October on a Saturday and a Sunday to experience a lot of things Twilight Zone. That is happening. And anyway, I was thinking about that and and, and the Jeff Rice Scholarship, and I just thought, man, I just don't think it, we're, we're praising um, Daryl. Daryl. We're, pra- <laughs> we're praising uh, Carl Kolshak, Darren McGavin's performances, but maybe not enough. And, and I think I want to just, and, and I'm going to make an attempt in the future to say a little bit more about how great he is and the way that he interprets the, what is there and, and, and how he's unique in doing it. We just talked about how he just even running, he was still in character. Um, you know, the shot that he yeah. had. And, uh, I just, I just think I need to make sure to, to keep focusing on that because, you know, I mean, the reality is the show probably would not have been as successful as it was if it didn't have Darren McGavin as Kolshak. I think that's pretty much obvious. Oh, 100%. Um, started, yeah. yeah, started with created by Jeff Rice, you know, masterfully interpreted by Darren McGavin. So as you guys hear me constantly talking about Jeff Rice, because I think the, the difference here is McGavin, although it was one season, got a lot of praise and continues to get a lot of praise, where Jeff Rice and his legacy just isn't there. And that's what I'm trying to do by extending that on. But anyway, I cannot find that Lakers. Um, I told you a photograph that you have doesn't mean it's not there. I I will go back and investigate it too. And uh, yes, there are some Jerry West things in there. There's even a picture of uh, Kareem. Oh, I think I see it. Do you? Do you have the photo? I think I have the photo, and it's actually Chamberlain against Jabbar. Really? It looks a lot like what's in there. I'm going to gonna show it to you right now. Uh, no, they were wearing, wearing yellow jerseys, I saw. No. They weren't? No, he's wearing purple. In the, in the um, show? In the show, in the photograph. It's a purple jersey, I'm almost certain. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Are we ready, ready to stop recording and go find it? I'll stop recording because I'm pretty sure he was wearing yellow because the, the Lakers guy was on the left side wearing yellow, had his left hand up. and then Because the, the other jersey was black, but you couldn't yeah, see their he, he was wearing purple. Okay. Well. Because that, in my mind, I initially, I initially thought. Well, it's time to stop this episode and watch advertisements. So, talk amongst yourself, people. Play a little, uh, play a little music. 
Put the in, I could put the. You ever seen those intermissions? Oh, I could put the. Uh, I could put our 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 old theme song. What you call porn music? The the vampire Lesbos. Hey, it's play it. Mark, have you seen Vampires Lesbos? I haven't seen it. Well, okay. Oh, man. <laughs> it gets gets me every time. Huh, okay. Are you looking for it now, or you want me to look? I'm completely looking for it. <laughs> I'm in the episode. And I don't have commercials, so I don't have to stop. can't remember the scene it was uh is it, is it the first scene in the ins no so it's gonna be it's gonna be one two two it's gonna be the second commercial after the second commercial break okay it's after so, so there's there's the woman there's a woman that burned up yeah you're gonna see him by the, the pool, pool and then he's run it's when he runs back oh i see it now okay oh dude We gotta keep this in. People will go nuts. It is not the picture I showed you. Uh-huh. It is it is definitely yellow. Uh-huh. Isn't that funny? How how I could just go to that in my head and think it's that way. It's when he's talking to Ron, and I've yeah. got so much crap on my screen. No, it looks no it it. I think it looks like a mirrored image of what basically. Because one mm-hmm. of the jerseys is lighter. Like, you know, you get that yellow that's lighter, and then you have the one that's yeah, there's, black. Yeah, there's a lighter. I just wish I could... Well, again, I can't take photographs of it. I can't take a picture of it. Oh, man, that's awesome. I, no, I've it got a picture. To me like, it looks to me like the Laker person is the one that's in purple. But you could be right. I mean, I don't know how you zoomed in on that. I've, you I, took a picture of it? Yeah, I actually did, and I completely forgot about it. Here, here I'll send it to you. Send it through Messenger now. So. Wait a minute. Is that the Blues Brothers? It sounds like it, though. I don't know how I'm getting that to 44. It just looks like a glob. I was going to say. I don't know how you did that either. I don't know. You say the 44 or am I tripping? Mm, you're tripping on the okay. 44. Um, now, see, Wilt, I'll tell you, Wilt wears a 13. Yeah, that does sort of like a 1 and... Uh, you might you might get it possibly from the... Uh, I think that might be a 13. Yeah. Who's going up? So there's and a number that, 7. That could be... And that's, that's a very tall person going up there with Wilt. And that, honestly, that could be Artist Gilmore. Uh, you, you could be right on that. Can't say for sure. Okay, well, we've wasted your time. <laughs> and we didn't <laughs> solve a thing. I'm serious, dude. You need to keep this in. Because <laughs> I, I think it's hilarious. Now, I know I'm the one who, like, you know, whines about us taking too long to do stuff. But everybody, if you hate this, I apologize. I love all of you. 
go home. It's okay. Sorry, wait a minute. I'm just doing a Donald Trump there. I'll, I'll put a time. I'll put a time stamp right before this for people to skip to if they want to skip it. Because, um, uh, it's so good. I do. You know, I just and I forgot that I am wearing my Cubs hat. Yeah. To celebrate the fact that this show is in Chicago. Yeah. So that, that was the reason why I was doing that. So we have to be Cubs fans, uh, I guess. Is, is that what we have to do? Well, I already am, but. All right. Oh, okay, we're at the 52-minute mark, and we've barely gotten through half of it. Hey, no, this we'll, we'll breathe through we this next want to keep going. So, uh, mm-hmm. so you know, we talked, we we got through all that. Uh, <laughs> um, and and as if I don't know how you represent your how. So if you're the writers in the writer room, how do we represent him going to talk to somebody who's a specialist on combustion? Hell, just put a Christmas tree on fire in the background. Somebody spraying it with the with a torch. Plastic Christmas trees are very combustible. No, but the fact that in order to show that he's going to a lab, just in the background, just lighting the, like the half the half the you know this little quarter of the room section off where they're slotting crap on fire as he's walking in. Come. They they did they did at least have a fire hood over the top of the fire, so I, I appreciated that. Now, did did you recognize who that actor was? Um, yeah, I, t- I talked about him in my segment that I totally didn't add in later. The movies in, in other segments. <laughs> that, you, that you totally didn't talk about yet. So in that, that segment that you totally didn't talk about, did you at least say that he's Bosley from the Charlie's Angels? Oh, yeah, yeah. You okay. got to say Charlie. Good to you know. Put the Charlie Angels. But just for that, oh, I'm going to yeah. take it out now. <laughs> well, that's that's just that's just mean, man. What's that line from? Um, I don't know. I've heard it, though. Here, I'll say it differently. It's just mean, man. I don't, I don't know. Is it... It ain't days that, that would be James Coburn while he's talking to Mel Gibson, who is in the, the film where Mel Gibson is called Porter. And I believe it is Payback, maybe? Never seen it. Never seen oh. it. Oh. I just, I just got through it watching is, Moana. Or you, are you such, adding another movie to you my did, list? You did not watch Moana for me, bro. You watched Moana for your wife. Yeah. I love it. And I, I don't care that you don't love it. Or the now now or that you didn't see it. If you loved it or not, that's cool. I enjoyed it. It's good. Maybe. But Mel Mel Gibson's payback is so good. Um, he's like a rag doll gets beat up, and oh, that's such a good film. But yeah, James Colburn is one of the the mobsters. Chris Christopherson is one of the mobsters uh-huh. uh, who's in it. Plays a real good tough guy. Um, a couple other people. Lucy Liu is in it and plays like a special like Asian hit squad. Uh, who's in there? Um, there's another actor who's who was in the movie Body Double, played a bad guy in that. He's been in all kinds of things. He's in it too. All good stuff. So let's just get distracted by more things, Bradley. <laughs> um, yeah. So we we go to the next the next scene and after the next commercial break and uh, you know Kolchak ends up tailing a car carrying Ryder Bond only to get caught by a light and the car goes up in flames without Ryder Bond in it. Uh, he goes to the theater only to see Ryder Bond conducting at the matinee as he was supposed to be. So he wasn't asleep. He wasn't asleep. He was. Yeah, no, this is the one, surely, unless he slept in the car. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so I think that, so that had to have been his doppelganger in the car. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I'm, yeah. I'm taking. But but I'm saying that yeah. Ryder Bond, did, did he have to, he had to fall asleep for him to, the other guy to be able to. Uh, Evidently not. I don't, I don't know. know. I, I misinterpreted this, something along the way, I guess, because I don't know yeah. what happened. Um, Forgive us, Kolchak fans. But anyway, he meets him at his house later, 
and uh, we, we think he's meeting him and he disappears and he gets the door slammed behind him as the as the uh, room starts to go up in flames. Mm hmm. And uh, yeah. And Carl, Carl escapes that yeah, nicely enough. Pretty easily. Well, that's good. Like, like no, no real. He take what I liked is he took his hat and he throws it on the doorknob and sort of t- touches it. That, man, who would have thought to do that, man? Genius. Darren McGavin. Darren McGavin. Chef's kiss to you, too. Darren. <laughs> These kisses are very awkward. <laughs> um, Darren, Darren McGavin um, has probably to do that. I feel like he's probably been in an actual fire where he knew that the uh, doorknobs would get hot and he didn't want to burn himself. You, you really think so? Yep. Yep. Fair enough. I think or he researched it enough. I don't know so much about McGavin's actual military service um, and that type of stuff and what he did prior to acting. I would, I need to do a little investigation on that. I don't know if there's, do we know Kolshak fans? Do we know if there is an actual Darren McGavin biography? Who? And if there, and if there isn't, is Mark Dwidziak working on it again, in addition to other things that are hiding in his trunk? Uh, <laughs> Mark, Mark's going to like chime in like, dude, why are you making fun of me so much? Like, let it go. <laughs> I, I think he'll probably do that only after he, he stop. I just sent him just weird messages like, Hey, you know, so did, did Darren McGavin have hair plugs or toupee? I send that to everybody <laughs> and, and, and put Mark and put Mark into it so he could settle the debate. But, uh, Wow, getting sidetracked again. So does he go to a restaurant here to talk to this gypsy, but he says something about a psychologist? I don't know. They're... I I have no idea. Somebody's going to help me out on that one, too. And it's funny. I was listening to a Kolshak podcast today, and the people who were covering the show were getting, what, what? Heresy. You all right? No, I'm just I'm going to be okay. Me. It was a one shot that someone put on a Facebook site, uh, and they were covering the whole episode. And I was listening to it, and they were getting a lot of details wrong. And, um, I, I let him go. I was like, it's fine. I'm just enjoying listening to somebody talk about Kolshak, but, uh, I'm doing it myself right now. Cause I've watched this thing. I just watched it recently, but I missed this whole thing. I could have sworn it, it when he's talking about going in to see, has to go see a psychologist. He actually goes into a building that says parapsychology across the top of it. I have no idea if I'm correct about that. I may have just had a Ghostbusters um, yin, you know, right there. I, I'm not sure. I don't know. Maybe it's a combination here. But he talks to his and he talks to his gypsy friend for advice, who doesn't give it to him until he coughs up some money. Uh, and what? And then uh, I think he ends up doing that later as well. But we'll talk about that. I was trying. I was getting a scene confused. Uh, you know, because we're professionals here of course we're gonna we're not gonna get any info info wrong none at all whoa 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 you're using the p word you're calling us professionals professional podcast we've got a couple good interviews we made us really laugh a lot we're gonna get a staggering hundred people or more to (laughs) to to tell our stuff we had orlando uh orlando jones retweet us yeah let's see what that does for us yeah i'm counting on you brother and and so we got him, but yeah, you can't tell anybody we're not professional. Rodney doesn't know we're not professional podcasters. No, I think I think Rodney could tell. <laughs> Pretty sure Rodney could tell. But um, it's gonna wait a minute. It's gonna be like seven. I'm gonna I'm gonna send you a notebook, and it's gonna say you brought this on yourself. Oh man, I love that that little teaser. I, I, man, anyway, uh, I. 
I I have listened. I kid you not, man. I have listened to that interview at least twenty times. God, I mean, it's funny. At least yeah. twenty times. My own copy recording of it, then you're finished editing, you know, copy of it. I just keep playing it over the and over and over again. Messed it up. No, no, no. I wasn't trying to bring that up. No, I'm, but I mean, it's it's just man, it's so good. His the things that he says, I want to have a podcast about that podcast. That's what I want to do. The things that he says about his life and then the, the, what he did and how he, you can tell he's put together his prior experiences now and how he interprets them and the way he writes. I just can't believe it. I went ahead and let myself read about four pages of Philadelphia volume two. Um, before I've gotten volume one, just because I wanted to check it out and see it. And it was so good. I just had to like slam the book shut. Like, nope, oh, dude, not going to do it to myself. Got to like, just, just close it. Let myself see the rest of it. Um, yeah. Just so, so, so freaking yeah. good. And I'm not a comics lover, but I'm telling you what, my little hometown of Louisville, I've been in now three different comic book star- stores. And uh, I have enjoyed it immensely. They are they are clean. They are so well organized. Um, it is better than going into in the old days when I would go into a record store. In all honesty, I mean, I just just loved every second yeah. that I was in there uh, looking at these shops. So, who knows? And did I did I mention? Can you see? Can you oh, see my little guy behind me? I see it. You I see my see little it. guy. Let me go ahead and bring him up to the screen. Hold on. Yeah, I can't believe that I actually got this guy. But here is Sweet Patsy from Monty Python. Uh, we can see that it actually does look like Terry Gilliam, in yeah. all honesty. This is a functioning knife that comes out of the scabbard. These are the coconuts that are in his hands. This thing, I never knew this, and I have watched Monty Python's Holy Grail so many times. His backpack is King Arthur's chair. It is his throne. Yeah. So if you turn this thing around, you can see actual legs and a seat that this is his backpack that he has. And it's where Arthur would sit. And of course it has his, um, his little, uh, star on there, which to me actually looks a little, little cross between the actor who played Arthur, uh, whose name has escaped me at the moment and Eric Idle. Uh, I don't think it's Eric Idle, but that just reminds me of him too. I'm going to put this back, and then Bradley, you may want to start talking. Yeah, yeah. We're not covering a darn thing about Cole. Oh, we're, we're letting our interviews bleed over into into this. But you know, we'll, we'll go ahead and keep going here. Um, so Cole Shack gives the line: "You're turning into a very commercial person." You know that as he's as he's forking over the dough to her. Uh, really really turning into a very commercial person you know that i thought it was funny another sexual innuendo here uh which this one is pretty blatant where she talks about how the very t- he, her grandma used to say that the very tight pants make people stare uh i don't know i thought that was funny and uh and and i in, anyway didn't he say then i think Colshack says something like you know what get with your grandma because she's saying my grandma would know the rest and she's like she lives in a nursing home. I'd have to go over there. I'm gonna. She's gonna want to talk about everything else. Tapioca pudding. I don't know if she said that. She said something else though. Talks about that, and he's like, "Well, you know, will you do it?" And then she's like, "Well, for two hundred dollars." And he's like, "What?" 
$200. I got five. I got to get lunch with this. And, and she said, well, it's just terrible to be broke and superstitious, isn't it? Yeah, all I've got is five bucks for dinner. It's just terrible to be broke and superstitious at the same time. So he said, oh, I'll find the money. And she gives him 48 hours. Um, and he ends up finding the real composer this time that who doesn't try to lock him and burn him. And uh, he's explaining the whole doppelganger situation and how uh, he has to stop it. And he has been seeing visions of himself, the composer says. Uh, but he writes it off as preposterous. But at one point, he, he, he right before that, he like believes him. But then he just writes it off. And then the piano closes and it begins rattling and they both leave. And I think he's back on board. Right, right. And then Carl's uh, postscript to all that scene, his little narration is uh, now he's on my side. You know, I mean, he, he clearly he I mean, he kept saying that he preferred this idea about the, the, the doppelganger to what he thought was him going insane. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and, and and then what do you have to do to stop it? I just have to just have to go to sleep. And he kind of laughed at that. And uh, but yeah, the um, it's funny because you think of the doppelganger as purely being this person who can only set these people on fire and make it seem like it's spontaneous combustion. But the reality is he actually is more of a ghost who can actually make other things happen too. So I, th I thought that was pretty neat in there and still honestly, all the way through the episode up until this point, um, I'm still loving every single bit of this. Uh, I think it's great. You know, you still also have, um, now in the next scene where, well, maybe it's not the exact scene, but he eventually goes back to the INS, breaks into Tony's desk and gets the petty cash. Yeah. And you, and then you see, um, Monique Marmelstein who, you know, says I can loan you money if you need it, yeah. you know, and, and then they have a little conversation and that's when eventually Ron and Tony come in and they can see that Carl, you know, eventually says he hadn't slept in 52 hours or 54 hours or whatever it was. And they keep trying to get him to go to sleep. And he tells Monique, I guess, you know, take this money and give it to the, the gypsy woman. Yes. And, um, it, you know, it, it made you feel being as old as I am and seeing all the nightmare on Elm streets when everybody keeps telling them go to sleep because you're so stressed out, go to sleep. And they fight the idea to do it. It just felt so much like that. It, it almost make I can't imagine this episode inspired the writers of Nightmare on Elm Street, but it feels a lot like that to me. Well, we've already um, talked about these the, these yeah. particular scenes. We've already talked about the zombie like having clear influences on Nightmare on Elm Street. And even some of the people, I think there was somebody who worked on Nightmare on Elm Street from the Shack series. Even if it, I think it might have been a stunt coordinator who worked on. Oh, man, that's too many episodes ago. Worked on maybe four. Oh, Nightmare on Elm Street 4, one of them. But, uh, True. Yeah, True. yeah. Um, you know, you talked about, you know, all that. They go to the church to get Ryder Bond to sleep. Uh, another good line from Cole Shack when he's looking for stuff, looking, trying to find who else, who, who it was. Up, Doc, have you never heard of the Dewey Decimal System? He's like, oh, you know, under O for obituary, A for arson, all this stuff. Um, that was that was hilarious. Yeah, that, that you'd think that Ron as uptight. I think someone actually mentioned this. In one of the Facebook sites, you think that Ron is uptight as he is, um, would actually still be kind of good at his job and would know how to do filing correctly and not just be so random with it. But I guess yeah. it, it just points to the idea that Carl really is the best professional there for the job that he does and is kind of surrounded by idiots. 
Um, yeah. and, and maybe that is why also they never believe him is because they are kind of idiots. And even though he tells them the truth and, and, and can, for the most part, make it seem like it actually happened. Uh, who knows? I don't know. Yeah. And, you know, we talk, we've already mentioned the scene, but, he, you know, here he goes, then he goes and talks to Mark Alt's wife, talked about that. Uh, then he visits the owner of the arcade and gets the story of how he died collapsing onto the machine. And he set the record apparently 66 times before collapsing to the ground. And that's when Carl rips the five and a half. The last five that he's going to get lunch with gives him the five. He keeps the other half to he Here's the horse, the story. And it suffice, you know, suffices to him. Uh, here today, tilt tomorrow, the owner says, which I thought that was uh, pretty <laughs> funny. And mm-hmm. he sees the ghost as he's leaving and he hurries away before he is a victim of the ghost. Um, moving on. So we are to the next commercial break and we come back. Kolshak digs for money and for caffeine pills, as you talked about, and sends Monique to get the money he talked about. Uh, and then Carl comes in. Tequila was it. That's what this is. He, he blames it on tequila. I remember college and all that. Uh, so, you know, no, Ron's not so uptight, I guess. He, he's experienced some tequila. True, true. Yeah, I, I'm. I, um, you'd have to take me through the rest of the stuff. I, I, I can't get the image out of my head of the composer's doppelganger in those windows in the church. Yeah. And and just seeing that scene over and over and over. Yes. When finally the yeah. the composer goes to sleep, you know he he the, his doctor's there. He doesn't want to do that. He believes Carl. And the police say they can't bring him out. And and that would just seem weird to me. I guess it's still the hollowed ground that they're in in the church and that this guy can't get in, but he still can be seen from the church. And he's tapping on the inside of the window. How the the heck does does that work, buddy? Well, but he he made made those pianos jump around. So, you know, it sounds like he, he can do. What, but he's reaching inside the church a little bit to hit the hit the. True, uh, but he's not fully in. Uh, he's not fully. Did, did you want him? Did you uh, want the flame guy to burst into flames? Well, no, but I, if I'm don't break your own rules. He couldn't be leaning in. That's cheap. Why don't somebody shut those windows? This is this is horse. horse I think man. you're I think you're being too nitpicky, man. I think it, what, what else could he do? Just just keep. Looking in the window and look menacing. He did that the entire time for like fifty-five no, but was, scenes. But I love that. I, it's, you're 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 taking away the part that I loved. Okay. I love that he messed with him and kept doing. No, that. and and this he seemed eerie. And Ryder Bond ends up falling asleep. Um, you know, because they were trying to get Carl to fall asleep. And Darren does a great drowsy, like his drowsy acting, perfect, perfect. Um, Chef's kiss. I know, I know. You. <laughs> I, now I'm just gonna do it because you don't like it. But, you know, that scene you did, um, you know, th- that is what it is. It's, it's, it's interesting. Thought it was cool. Uh, but Carl don't get any sleep, and he goes. And, and, okay, now here is where my biggest nitpick of this episode comes, okay? Okay, so we get Carl in there. He he figures out what he's got to do. He talks the doctor out of everything. It's not this scene. But, you know, the, he and Carl knows enough to, like, be like, oh, I know my police procedure. And he goes through it, and he knows that they can, that the police can't do anything about it. And then, unless he does it under his own volition, blah blah blah, gets him to stay there. And Carl don't get any sleep. He's still up there tapping, just up there looking in. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Um, we come and anyway, so all that happens. We get the shot, uh, the famous shot of the clouds parting to show a full moon. Okay, here's my here's my qualm here. Put my foot down right here. See the shot of. Kolshak alone in the grave 
it's the exact same shot from the zombie man. It's the flashlights are shining down. They took a snippet of the shot from the zombie and they put it here. Come on, come, come on, come on. That 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 really bothers you that much? Now because I'm watching it and I see and I look and I'm like, whoa, there's like four flashlights shining the grave while he's getting the body. What is this? And do you think he just he he he's already had the experience of digging one grave? And he had all the flashlights. Couldn't he have got a bunch of flashlights so he could see in this one in the scene? They're moving. They're moving around up there, like they're peering down and shining. Nah, nah. Oh, they're, they're, so you're saying the flashlights are moving as he's because they out. took the shot from them from the show. Well, I get you. I get you. I'm, I was. Mm. You know. You know what my biggest beef is. Okay, what's that? What's the biggest ditch you've ever dug? The biggest ditch? It wasn't too yeah. deep. Probably like two foot, maybe. So I have dug. An eight by eight across, four foot deep ditch. Um, what that, the? that when I built my pond. So I got and I, I did it with a ridiculously small spade. Now I've also dug a four by four by three um, uh, pond where I relocated it. And I'm going to tell you what, man. He supposedly is digging that by hand. That is at least six feet across and probably at least, uh, well, six feet long, let's say seven feet long and four feet. And you're thinking that he's going to just get through that. <laughs> There's no way, no way at all. They they have, for, for the sake of movie magic, TV magic, they have greatly underestimated how tough it is to dig a ditch. And, and, and I, I dug them, you know, I'm 55 now. So no, I can't do as as well as I did in the past. But when I dug the other, when I was just a mere 32, um, I was super strong and super fit at the time. And uh, you know, anyway, that's that's uh, there you go. There's my big gripe. But yeah, about that ditch. Oh scene. yeah, yeah, the ditch scene. Forget that. Forget that. I'm, I'm... Did it ru- did it ruin the whole episode for you? Because I see your rating now. What? And I think that's that's just unkind. What you rated it that low? I, I well, I don't know what I put in here. I think my my episode rating may be lower than what you see, because that's even lower. That's the IMDb rating. That ain't my rating. <laughs> but we'll, we'll You're get unkind. We'll, we'll, well, we'll, let's let, let's wrap this up, man. Where where do we go from this? Okay, so here we are. He's dragging the body back to where he died. Your favorite scene of the whole thing. What a beautiful jukebox. I love that jukebox, man. I was going to get one. It was only like 150 bucks, and I should have went and got it, even though it didn't work because it still lit up recently. that was It was the exact same model. Kicking myself because I didn't have room because I didn't move in this house. It's like a year and a half ago. Anyway, that's that's a complete aside. Beautiful jukebox lit up You know, in the dark. It's a real nice uh, pop in the scene. Uh, okay, here's my gripe, another gripe. And, and if a small gripe, small gripe, I know. And I know Carl carries this everywhere. Okay, Carl, Carl, I understand your logic. You're carrying this body in here to burn it, and you're leaving. Why are you bringing your cassette, your 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 record, your tape player? And I sound like an old person. Why are you playing your record player, your tape, your cassette, you know, player or recorder, and your camera and all that stuff? Why why are you bringing all that jazz in here when you're trying to ca- drag a body? And because it falls down while he's doing it, and then I know that's like the Carl stick of. Oh, you know, but for somebody who is so smart in a lot of ways, I mean, why just leave it? You're gonna you're gonna be just however long it takes to get this guy on the ground. You don't need to, you're not trying to take pictures or do anything. I, yeah, but you know, he's Kolshak, so he's always prepared. He's always prepared. So he even in 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 light of how difficult it would be to move that body around, 
Yes, it's ridiculous, but that is, I know, that's his costume. So he's not going to ever be separated from that in these shows. Uh, it's always there with him. It's, you know, to me, it's it, it's not as bad as, but it is as as equivalent as Jack Klugman tapping the top of the trumpet in a passage for a passage to trumpet or whatever. When he plays yeah. the jazz musician, it keeps hitting the mouthpiece, which you never, never, <laughs> ever do to a trumpet. Not a French horn. Didn't play the French horn. Don't know it from a can of paint. Who said that? Yeah. Yeah. Rodney, Rodney Barnes Barn. said that one. Anyway, don't know the French horn from a can of paint, but I hate it like the cousin I hate. I know, but I know him like the cousin I hate. Yeah. So many good phrases. <laughs> anyway. Yes. This in my, the thing that I liked about this scene so much was how Kolshak in, in what he's doing. I mean, I didn't see him necessarily go through and say he had to have this incantation that he had to say while um, the, the the flame was happening, the, the body was burning and all this other kind of stuff. I didn't like that they burned the cigar store Indian. That that kind of bugged me. I am so a little sensitive to all that kind of stuff. But um, it, it, he just seemed to me to all of a sudden move into the world of a holy man who was fighting against the devil. Yeah. And he's like, you will return. And, uh, I loved it. I, I just thought that that's, that's some audio that we probably need to find. No. Yeah. Don't play get, that. Don't get me wrong. That's, that's good. We'll, we'll drop that in right here. Listen to him. This is your body here. You are dead. You are not Ryder Bond. You will never be Ryder Bond. Leave Ryder Bond alone. Return to your own body. Leave Ryder Bond alone. Return to your body. Return to your body, Markov. And rest in peace forevermore. Um, but I, I guess in the end, it was helpful that Kolshak had it because he did end up getting caught in putting in the back of the cop car. Uh, but and he could still record. Yeah. So or his handcuffs. So sure. Yeah. You know, but which I, you uh, come on. You think the cops would have got that away from him. But uh, I guess today it's a lot different than it was in uh, 1974. Whenever this was 1973, if that was shot then. Um, no, it was shot in 74, wasn't it? But anyway, so mm-hmm. here the closing narration. We learned that tonight is Tony's night to play cards. So Carl would just get a good night's rest in jail. And mm-hmm. uh, that's how that episode wraps. At least I won't have to worry about the doppelganger any longer. He's back in his own body and will probably be cremated. Which is really rather sweet poetic justice for Frankie Markov. My only worry now is to find Tony Vincenzo to try to raise bail. They've got me hooked on some stupid arson charge. But it's Tony's night to play cards and I don't know where he is. So I think I'll just spend a nice good night's sleep. In the slammer. Episode rating. Do you want me to go first? 
Yeah, go ahead, trash it. I'm not gonna trash it. Give this, it your, give it your worst. There, there was a lot of th- so the, the 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 reuse of footage. I understand. I understand the production limitations. I understand, but the 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 plot. It, I'm not gonna say it was necessarily. It was sort of convoluted at some points. Hard to follow. Uh, I feel like this is one of the worst monsters so far that we've seen. Um. I haven't. I would say it's the worst. I mean, even the UFO alien, I gave a little credit to. The combustion was cool. Don't get me wrong, you know. But but I don't know. It was convoluted. I didn't understand how it worked. Did it work when he was sleeping? Not. I say all that. Six point five out of ten. Six point five. Um, you know, uh, g- gypsy gypsy restaurants with uh, something about psychology that we don't really know about out of ten. In in the past, I would have given this a four. Ooh. I mean, I, I I used to hate this episode, just hate it. I thought it was lame seeing the conductor as this sort of superimposed. I mean, it's the best thing they could do. Um, but rewatching it, paying attention to um, him being able to have, I think I just missed the scene with the gypsy. In all honesty, and you know me, I love the little explanation scenes where they talk about how yeah. he's going to try to defeat whatever it is he defeats and he gets that information. Um, I enjoy greatly enjoyed the Ron and um, Tony stuff of, you know, either supporting or not supporting Carl. I thought that was really good. And um, I just, I just cracked up in the scene in the church when the guy was looking through the windows, it just had me howling. I think it was, I think it was ridiculous but I was so funny. I just loved it. So, I mean, it was just more like, it was almost just very campy to a certain extent for me. And I could see how that would get downgraded that scene and maybe some other scenes. And if they, you know, I've noticed things in the twilight zone, uh, the reboot of Jordan Peele, where they kept using the same apartment over and over. Yeah. And they just repainted something here, put a different lamp there. And, and, uh, but you know, as we paid attention to so many things and that, that, podcast i would notice it and i was like yeah whatever but no i mean in this one honestly i just give it a flat straight out nine i loved it that's... i give it a nine yeah i give i give it nine symphonies if not done by mozart then done by beethoven so i, I know that this is going to be we'll, we'll see the footage from this later chopped up in the, another episode right uh in like what is it those Maybe. I don't know. what are you talking no i'm about? saying like you know how they had the first 20 episodes then they reshot them like as movies or whatever like the trevi collection and uh they well they only did that for a couple they didn't do that for a bunch of them yeah there are three with a three or two movie episodes like that well that's what i'm saying there were 20 total and then they they did whatever they did i i've never seen those extra spliced out whatever so i think they did something with the eric with the eric estrada um, episode and uh, but yeah, I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. I know we'll cross um, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. I think mm-hmm. if I think if they fix that that I don't know fix the convolutedness and because uh, there were some things I loved. I love the arcade like the arcade that I had it at a ten starting out as soon as I, I saw it was in an arcade. Oh, cause right, you, I you would. You know, you know. But then they burned the arcades. So that put it down to like a zero. So that nullified. No, not really. But. I don't know. Fix the convoluted plot holes that I, I that I can't get over. Um, 
which I probably need to even bump the vampire a little higher. I felt I feel like now I even rated it lower because the plot on that was so good. Just the the follow through from the movie, and now I'm gonna rewatch the movie that I've already seen. And anyway, anyway, uh, this episode I feel like it just needed some streamline. Shoot all original footage. I, I don't know. And yeah, yeah. I mean, I I've heard people not heard, but I've seen people on the on the Kolshak sites say they love this episode. And in the past, I thought they were nuts. Yeah, how can you love this one? This is horrible. And watching it again, I don't know, man. I just really liked it. Just really liked it. it it's the, the tiny bit of Night Stalker science that we got with uh, Carl figuring out how he's going to do it. The interplay. I think they upped their game with that. You, you and I think that. And I don't know how much longer we're going to see Monique Marmelstein. But, you know, the deal is she wasn't, she isn't in every single episode. And at some point she leaves and Dwidziak tells a story or has told a story that, um, she, she thought that she was, uh, fired or something like that. Cause she wasn't doing so well. And it really wasn't that. So I think they said everybody loved her, but there was some reason why they, they couldn't keep her on. And it really had nothing to do with them liking her or not yeah. in the show. But anyway, um, that's, that's neither here nor there. But uh, you know, so, yeah, yeah, no, I liked it. I, I think we better roll into, as as it is almost 2 in the morning where I am, oh, we, yeah. we better, yeah. Yeah. Which <laughs> we better roll into yeah. some of our uh, science and whatever else we've got. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's get into that. Yeah, and IMDb had this at a 7.7 out of 10, so a little bit higher than me, uh-huh. but definitely lower than Robert. So moving in to the history and science. I doubt that could happen, but a team of scientists recently grew wheat from seeds that were found in the pyramids of Egypt. Those seeds were 4,000 years old. 4,000 years old. Okay, and speaking of a little bit of history, um, me being the German uh, guy on the show, um, I was going to talk about a little bit about the... Oh, is that you, Is that you, Robert? Uh, <laughs> You can't do that. This is going to be a video podcast one day. <laughs> um, the German word for doppelganger, it, it actually literally means double goer. Uh, in, in the German folklore, it refers to the ghost of a living person. And while in German mythology, the occurrence of doppelgangers was said to be a paranormal phenomena. And it was believed that if anyone ever saw a doppelganger, they would experience bad luck. And even going into even further, English speakers have only recently applied this German word to a paranormal concept. Francis Gross's Provincial Glossary of 1797 used the term fetch instead defined as the apparition of a living person. Catherine Crow's book on paranormal phenomena, The Night Side of a Nature, 1848, helped make the German word well known. However, the concept of alter egos and double spirits has appeared in folklore, myths, religious concepts, and traditions of many cultures throughout human history, including ancient Egypt mythology, a caw, was a tangible spirit double having the same memories and feelings as the person of whom the counterpart belongs to. Uh, the Greek princess presents an Egyptian view of the Trojan War in which a call of Helen misleads Paris, which we will talk about Helen of Troy later, of course, in this uh, series and as we talk about different shows. And uh, in, in, North, in, in Norse mythology, a Vardiger is a ghostly double which is seen performing the person's actions in advance. Uh, also, we could talk about Finnish mythology, uh, which the pattern is described as having an a first comer 
So the doppelganger of Anu Anku, which is a personification of death, appears in Breton Cornish and Norman folklore, and we could get into all that. But let's move into science. Well, no, that's that's all good. I do want to say a couple Go things ahead. about the doppelganger. Um, I think the translation that you have prob that you did probably works, but um, what I remember from all my German classes was typically um, ganger or gong, um, as it would or, or gonger what would it be pronounced. Um, it usually has something to do with a passage or, or walking or a road or something like that. Um, it could even be kind of like a, a double visage or a double sight. So I, I think it, it certainly fits all those things. If you say doppelganger, double um, this or you're like you're seeing double, double people. Yeah. Um, and certainly I think that is the the root, <clears throat> excuse me, the root when you talk about somebody having an evil twin, I think that comes from when we talk about doppelgangers and um, no, I was just going to say that there is, I won't even go into specifics about when it happened, but sometime in the two thousands um, there was a story in Ireland where we have a uh, coroner who was unable to um, determine the cause of death of someone who had been burned to a crisp in their home next to their fireplace. And um, he had determined that there were no accelerants that were used. So when we talk about internal combustion, like was happening to these people, um, there, there has, it's the, the thing that I thought was really odd is that someone else is quoted in this article, who is another medical examiner, is that in these particular cases, when, people spontaneously combust they are typically found near a fireplace which to me sounds bizarrely convenient or just bizarrely weird yeah um either way so so does that mean that means something came out of the fireplace and that's what caught them on fire or did they cause themselves to catch on fire in some manner and then as some of these people the medical examiners say whatever that substance was, was burned up in the fire and therefore is undetectable. Uh, who knows? But I, I do remember as a kid, people talking about spontaneous combustion. It was not around the time of the night stalker. So that certainly was a, a topic that people talked about for a while, but yes, let's, let's jump in. Was, was that the science you were talking about? <laughs> yeah, that was the science, you know, and you, and you mentioned one of the cases that happened in 2010 in Ireland, uh, of the 76-year-old man, there's a 73. Yeah, there's a 73-year-old man in the 80s in South Wales who was found to ashes, and he all they found was a skull and his legs from the D down, with his socks and his pants still in completely intact. Um, and half of his chair was also destroyed, but the other half was you know completely fine. Uh, and there was another woman who had died and had been spontaneously combusted even further back than that. She was 89 and she was in Dublin. I don't know what the deal with Ireland is and and spontaneous combustion. Uh, but her legs were also found from the knee down, still intact. But she was almost burnt to ash, they said, which that is a monstrous fire, a monstrous fire. And the only thrill thing that happened was there's some burnt plastic flowers in her television had burned. But that was just from the heat of the fire, I suppose. Um, but but that's all I have on uh, on combustion, spontaneous combustion. Uh, if you want to get into some of the other science I have here about just face re facial recognition, but there's not a whole lot to say about that. Just talking about how, uh, you know, the, the brain is meant to, to identify faces and there's a whole science behind that, that when we look at faces, we 
are unconsciously measuring, you know, the centimeters of the mouth and the centimeters from the nose to the mouth and all that stuff. And that sometimes we want to connect other faces that look similar. But when you take away, like say you take away the nose and you look at their eyes and their mouth, they may not look similar at all. So there's a lot of times that we, that the brain makes connections that we necessarily aren't there. Um, and, and also, uh, as far as apparitions, you know, there's a little bit of a ghostly aspect to this. Uh, as far as actually seeing apparitions, there's a lot of different hypotheses. Uh, one of those is low-frequency sounds, uh, and that's less than 20 hertz is considered low-frequency. And they did an experiment in 2003 where concert goers were fed this low-frequency sound, and 22% of them found that they had a uneasy, sorrowful, you know, getting got chills, and they had nervous feelings, a revulsion of fear. And the Astonishing Legend guys talked about this in their Diotloff Pass episode. I'd recommend going and seeing that. But 22% for a test audience is really low to, to come to a conclusion that, yeah, it, it's tr- You know what I mean? Like when you have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of concert goers and, and to get 22% of your test audience being like, yeah, we felt this and the other not feeling anything. Uh, it, it, it can uh- I, I'm not sure what you may think it's low because you want to make it more like, you know, a, a hard, cold fact. But, you know, there there could be enough statistical significance within that sample that they would think that I actually missed what you were talking about because we probably had seen on the video that I was choking on my popcorn. <laughs> like, ah, ah. So I missed I missed some of that. So sorry I missed that part. But, oh no, it's all good. Um, um, the two other things are mold and carbon monoxide, with the latter being a more viable hypothesis. Uh, well, people exposed to mold, it's sort of hit or miss, you know, because I mean it's sort of natural to think of mold in old houses and stuff and being a, being a cause, but there's not. It's more anecdotal evidence. But as far as carbon monoxide, that's something that paranormal investigators use daily. Uh, any, that's usually the first thing they ask people if they go into a house and they said they've been having activity that they talk about carbon monoxide. I think we've even had it dealt with on evil. That's one of the things they talk about in the TV show evil uh, when talking about possession of homes and stuff or possession of people and seeing ghosts and stuff. Um, but you know, that's just another thing. Uh, people ex- sort of have, it can cause auditory hallucinations, a feeling of pressure on the chest and the unexplained feeling of dread. And, uh, often in to- an often told ghost story from the twenties about the H family who moved into a new house only, to only to hear footsteps, see apparitions, and feel malicious paranormal presence has turned out to be the result of carbon monoxide poisoning from a broken furnace. So, uh, and, and Robert, I think you had a little bit of uh, social science here. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it, it's it, it's always interesting to apply some actual science to the these shows, and I'll use this as a segue to say um, I also like to occasionally apply some social science to it. And some historical um, information. And one thing that um, made me think about that was, um, you know, we've had in the zombie, we had a story about the Spazados and how they were the mob, the people that were there. Now, in this one, obviously, we have another one that has to do with the mob and that those two guys that came in, those are some sharp dressed mobsters, by the way, the guys that did the hit in the arcade store. Um, I oh, thought yeah. they were feds. I thought they were feds for a second, but. Three taps, man, took him out. But I looked up just uh, on Wikipedia, just a timeline for some Chicago uh, mob activity. And, you know, we've got um, the 1830s, specifically 1837, uh, Chicago became incorporated as a city. But then, you know, somewhere around 
1855, they still only had basically kind of like a bare bones police force. It's funny when I think about uh, the history of the police, and I know that's been a big topic lately, um, you know, what the yeah. police forces were, were created to do and were they, you know, a way to keep certain populations of people, minorities down, quite possibly that could have been it. I, I have not studied all that, but it was interesting to me to see that there were, um, you know, reports going back as far as the 1860s of, you know, uh, let's say underworld activity that was happening in Chicago. And I won't go into tons of detail about that, but obviously you got some things that might've happened during the uh, civil war. And then, you know, it continues to go on and on and up. And of course we've got Al Capone who was in Chicago and uh, you know, his, his history there. Um, so there's all kinds of things in this article. I mean, you could, gosh, you could spend a long time just reading through all of that. Um, I will say that uh, I don't think I was in grave danger, um, but I was in Chicago for a New Year's celebration one time when I was a bit young and uh, had been kind of roughed up a little bit as some guys walked past. It was a really crowded bar where we were all celebrating. And I'm a big guy, so I wasn't going to take it. And I turned and I looked at these guys and they were probably just both of them just a hair smaller than me. And I thought, oh, man, I'm going to confront them for sure. And then something else clicked in me just for a second and said, hmm, there's a chance these guys could be mobsters. <laughs> and it just, I don't know if they were. I don't know what it was. But all of a sudden something hit me in my in my mind and thought, ooh, this is not a good idea for me to do this. So I just let it slide, walked away, and then the rest of the night I kind of kept my eye on them. And they almost looked like the the bar reacted to everything that they did in the bar. Um, so I was like, okay, probably wise that I stayed away from these guys. Anyway, um, I think it's interesting that the TV series continues to bring about this idea about organized crime. This was certainly something that Jeff Rice wrote about and was exposed to uh, when he was in Las Vegas and uh, was an investigative reporter there. And uh, I like that, you know, the, the Night Stalker continues to use these people as a backdrop. And, you know, and in the zombie, it wasn't just the organized crime of the Italians. It was organized crime of the Haitians at that time, too. And uh, so it's just kind of fun how they always bring this into the show. That's all I got to say about that. Yeah. You know what else is fun is my movie picks of the week. We have the movie picks of the week, and we're going to start with honorable mentions. And one of these, Doppelganger from 1993, is my number three. Uh, Robert, do you want to talk about your your uh, honorable mentions here? Then I, I I just I just remembered that Drew Barrymore was in a film called Doppelganger. Um, it, it was it was a film that I at least watched all the way through uh, when she was in it, and I, I really don't remember hardly anything else about it. Um, there's, there's a scene of her at a door. <laughs> like that's the only thing that I can remember about that entire movie. So, um, 
I don't know if it gets honorable mention because it's good or does it get honorable mention because it literally is about a doppelganger. Um, where, where did you fall in your selection uh, of calling it an honorable mention? Well, it's a rather abysmal movie. It's got a 24% of Rotten Tomatoes. I put it number three because it has doppelganger in the title. Um, there you go. Because, I mean, some of these, like if you're looking at like alien movies, man, you've had a bevy of alien movies. Looking at doppelganger movies, I'm not going to say there's not a lot, but there's some slim pickings there. Um, but uh, compare, especially compared to alien movies. So what about you had Dreamscape on? So and they and you also you so you went the route of like dream related movies, and which is a good thing. I didn't think about that. So will you talk about that? Your two uh, choices yeah. down here. Yeah, and it's it's I tried to make the connection to you know doppelganger is the obvious connection to um, the the show that we have here this episode. But this this idea that we, you know, they, as Bradley pointed out, was sort of inconsistently um, had had some information about it. But, you know, seemingly these people would fall asleep. Um, the, the conductor would fall asleep and that's how um, he would eat. No, you know, I take it back. Maybe it was that it wasn't that he was the one who had to fall asleep to kill them. It was that if you fell asleep, it killed you. It came to you in your dreams and then killed you. Because we remember we saw the, the first person was in bed and sleeping. I guess the person who was on the um, sun tanning chair must have been sleeping and it killed her. Um, so to the point of dreamscape, Dreamscape was a, a fun film that um, Dennis Quaid made. Um, had Eddie Albert from Green Acres in it. Kate Capshaw, who, of course, is Steven Spielberg's wife. I don't know if she was married to him at the time when she made that. And um, the famous David Patrick Kelly. Does that name ring a bell to you at all, Bradley? If not, I'm going to make a little finger um, motion here, and I think you might get it. And if you don't, I'm going to have to up your your movie-watching experience to this movie before you see anything else. Okay, what what do Because this is classic 70s, classic 70s movie. This is the, the motion. No. Does that, does that ring a bell? No. Then let me do this. Warriors... Come out to play. Warriors. Do you know that at all? No. Oh, this is such a hole in your life. Okay. This is so bad. So there was a, it may have come out in the, in the late seventies, if not early eighties. And it, it was a movie called the warriors. Oh, is that the one where they're in like a, they're, they're traveling on a subway. There's that. From, they have to get back to Coney Island, which is their turf. Yeah, and they've got it's like a warfare sort of. Yeah. Yes. Was there a book? Well, it's, there the book? gangs, the gangs, the gangs of all New York unite, and they are trying to become a a powerful force or whatever it is, and then someone kills the guy who joins them all together, whose name might have been Rufus. And the more and more I think about it, but um, there was a really tough group in there called the Riffs, and there was this really um, you know weird group might have been the Orphans I can't oh. remember, but anyway this actor 
is in a car and he's he has Coke bottles, little Coke bottles on his fingers, and he's clinking them back and forth. Well, anyway, this guy has made a, a habit of being a creepy dude in a lot of shows. He does this in The Warriors. He's a very creepy guy in Dreamscape. And he's also a creepy guy in one of your favorite TV shows that you've been watching recently. Twin Peaks. Yes. yes. Yeah. Did you finally did you figure that out? Yeah, I did. So Hence in, the eyebrow in, thing in, that nobody saw but you. So. Yes, yes, yes. And, um, of course, do you know who the other actor is who is in those scenes with him in Twin Peaks and how he became famous initially as a child actor? Well, I know who you're talking about, but I don't know how he became famous. His name is Bobby, and he was Bobby on the Mouseketeer Club, the Mickey Mouse Club, uh, when he was in his early teens. Really? Huh. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anywho, I, I am making a long podcast even longer by bringing up all this stuff. So, so I apologize for that. So I went through a phase where I was reading books from the 60s, and I read the 65 book. That's why it was familiar. Um, but I don't. The 65 book on. So it's called the, the Warriors. Oh, oh, okay. So that's why um, it's familiar I, to me, but I don't remember seeing the movie. So I guess I need to see the movie now. So the movie is based on that book that was written in 1965. Yeah, it's it's the ex- interesting because they said it they said it in the 70s. Yeah, because it's in 79, but the book was set in 65, and it's it's a little bit different. I mean, it's. Wait, wait, wait. This is not well, a war. Movies podcast. are always the movies are always different. Yeah. The, um. The what? Book, what? So. so. Uh. Yeah. So. Oh, and the last one, Nightmare on Elm Street, sir. So yes, obviously, obviously. Freddy. Freddy goes after people who fall asleep, and he kills them in the dreams, and uh, makes it reality. And of course, Johnny Depp was in one of the very famous first um, big death scenes yeah. in, the, in the first Nightmare on Elm Street when he's spinning around in his room and getting murdered by Freddy. And uh, there you go. There, there are my little extra things I added on to that. Sorry that took so long. One of the main things I loved about Dreamscape, I think it was a really fun sci-fi movie. But the other thing was at the very end, they end up in Louisville, Kentucky at Churchill Downs because he has the ability, I guess, to go into people's dreams and figure out who's going to win. I can't remember. Maybe he was just always psychic and he could read minds too. Maybe that's how his character was found. But I highly recommend Dreamscape. It'd be a fun one to watch. Oh, yeah. Um, so uh, to going on to the top five, number five on my list is 1976 Tenet, the Roman Polanski film, part of his uh, apartment trilogy. Uh, basically, a woman tries to commit suicide, and uh, let's just say that somebody uh, ends up seeing her other places. And uh, so, that, you know, that's a great movie. The Great Dictator, not a – this is a little different as far as doppelganger goes. This is not a menacing doppelganger, but we see uh, – Dictator, great dick. Charlie Chaplin, one of the greatest movies ever made, in my opinion. One of the best scenes ever, his little speech at the end. So there's a Jewish man and a, of course, they don't call him Adolf Hitler, but Adolf Hitler in this, and they live parallel lives, you know, but they look exactly alike. And, uh, and, and so basically it was what they thought. It came out in 1940 before, like, you know, basically World War II really ramped up. And they thought they were over personifying like, oh, the bad things the Nazis do. And they're like, oh, we're just going to play this up like the Nazis are doing really bad things as a joke. But then when they found out they were doing even worse things than they said, it was sort of like, oh, we uh, we oh, we wow. undershot this one a lot. So 
anyway, basically they end up swapping places and the Jewish man ends up taking Adolf Hitler's place and he gives this, you know, amazing speech at the end. Uh, definitely recommend it as far as doppelgangers go, even though it's not really a doppelganger in the sense of a uh, evil spirit. Yeah, and stuff. I get what you're going with that yeah. though. Number th- yeah. number three, we talked about doppelganger from '93 has Drew Barrymore in it, and it has the word doppelganger in the title. Um, not much else to say. Uh, oh, by the way, Great Dictator has a 93 on Rotten Tomatoes. The Tenant has an 88. Number two is Us. Jordan Peele's Us. Oh, and I feel like that might be a spoiler, calling it a doppelganger movie. Um. Yeah, how did I, you know? I don't know how I, I I missed that. Yeah, absolutely. I saw us. Oh man, it's that, well. I tell you what, us us has a a twist on a twist on a twist. So so for, it's not for that. Is, so I'm just gonna you know not to give it away, but that's so based on us calling it a doppelganger thing isn't necessarily giving away everything. No, and and just. And honestly, he 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 put that in the trailers. Yeah, oh, he so did, didn't he? He did, you, didn't he? Yeah, you see the trailers, you already know. Yeah. That there's a a very nice looking African American family who is camping, or they're they're staying in the woods in their very nice house, and then all of a sudden this very deranged version of them shows up on their porch, uh, not on their porch, but in their driveway, and then the rest of it goes crazy from there. Yeah. So I mean, that's a. Uh, that's definitely a, a a really good one. 2019 on that, and of course, Rotten Tomatoes has that sitting at a 93. And the number one, uh, it's an it's a 1970. Broke up, didn't? I? Sorry, I broke up there, didn't I? Um, and of course, my number one is a little off the beaten path. It's a 1970 movie around the same era, a little bit earlier. The Man Who Haunted Himself. Pretty self-explanatory. It's 1970. 55 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it has Roger Moore in it though. Uh, it, it's just like, uh, I don't know. It, it's fun. So he, he has a bad alter ego that escapes. Uh, and, and I don't know. It, it, it's fun. Uh, I would definitely recommend, recommend checking that out. And, uh, I won't give too much away on that either. Us is probably the best out of all those films to watch, but, uh, you know, that's my movie picks of the week. And maybe I'll stream the man who haunted himself on YouTube one day when we watch it, because that's why I have it at number one is because it is, uh, Easily streamable, and I can definitely not watch us and stream it on YouTube. Cool. I think I think those are some fun recommendations. I will do my best to try to check those things out. I will not, um, you know, hopefully you won't act like I do and say you can't watch anything until you see this next thing. Um, but uh, I will do my best to try to watch some of those things. And I feel like I know about the the Charlie Chaplin one. But I didn't I didn't necessarily know all of that side of it. So that's that's one I think I would out of all of those, I would like to see that first. And then second, the Drew Barrymore one. What? Which one did you want to see first? Sorry, you cut out uh, the uh, the great dictator. Oh, um, I knew I knew about the it? Charlie Chaplin one, but I just I haven't seen it. Yeah. And um, so, I again, I knew there was something about it, but that sounds like a really fun one. And then I was making a joke that I'll see Doppelganger second. Hey, if and if you can't watch the even if you don't watch the dictator, at least watch the 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 narration scene that he does that speech he gives man mm-hmm. something else, something else. But speaking of speeches and, and talking, we have talked a lot today and even further than I think we even uh, we even thought we were. Um, so, uh, you know, it, music's playing. Robert, do you have anything else to, to, to say here before we head on? I was just going to fake my way through um, how they contact us. So you're, we're at Colchak's Loop on Facebook. We're at Colchak's Loop on Twitter. 
Uh, you can find us on at Shacks Loop on uh, YouTube. Uh, you can find us on at Shacks Loop and uh, Twitch. And uh, you can find us on at Shacks Loop on Instagram. So you can go to all those places. Wow. And we are at there. I don't know where any of those right. Yeah, those were all correct. Yeah, we've also got the Gmail. <laughs> That's pretty good. I mean, pretty much, I, I said every, I like things to be easy. If you want to look at look look for us at Shacks Loop, more than likely you'll find us. Um, I've actually been paying attention. That's amazing. Patreon.com slash Shacks Loop. We, uh, if you want to support us in any way, uh, that that'll be greatly appreciated. Email. If you want to contact us, most important thing here, a contact is Loop at gmail.com. Phone number 662-374-0778. We have some big things cooking with the Jeff Rice Scholarship that I think the... That you know, it reminds me of. We've got the big witches pot, and we're stirring it, and we're just throwing in ingredients here and there, and it's coming together, coming together. It's a slow brew. It's a slow brew, but it's a. Uh, it is. It's good. Yeah, I mean, I've uh, in in my mind, nothing's really going to happen for about two years. Yeah, yeah. That's gonna be that's gonna be massive. Um, so I'm trying to be realistic about it, and uh, but you know, finding some folks that give us some expert. Uh, guidance and and be involved in the conversation. Um, those things are starting to take shape right now, so uh, I think it'll it's all looking pretty good on that. And uh, there we go. Yep. Yeah. So uh, oh, and one more thing before we go, I remember I was going to tell you, Robert, and I forgot that the conductor actually says Kolchak's name right, but he repeats it back to him. Uh, Thank you, because I listened to multiple people in that um, all say Chak. But yeah. I missed it when the conductor said it. But That's I think, awesome. but he Good. says it after, so Cole Shack says it, and then he repeats it back to him. All right, Mister Cole Shack, but I still can. You know? Well, that's good. I mean, there are other scenes in the future where he does say it, and people still say, slaughter say, say it wrong too. So, yeah. all that, uh, you know, be sure to contact us there if you. Uh, we've gave you our movie picks. Don't watch Midsummer if you didn't, if you don't want some to be, especially not with your family if you don't want some uncomfortable times there. Um. Apparently, watch the Warriors. We've said that. Um. Warriors. But for all things, uh, for, <laughs> go watch uh for a better version of the Warriors. Is it is it sort of like a uh, Clockwork Orange? Sort of. No. What? Clockwork what? Orange. You got the gangs. Right? How are you making a comparison of Clockwork Orange and the Warriors? I just like Clockwork Orange. I like. Sam You're Cooper. like. You know what? Just just shut the f up. You're Donnie. You're just like a child walking into a movie theater with no frame of reference. I'm going to put a sensor there, and I'm going to make it sound like you're actually saying it. No, no you're not. <laughs> Do not manipulate what I said that way, editor. Uh, and I already have don't, for... Don't make me take away the editor badge from you. And for all things Cold Shack, uh, we, you can find us right here. Inside the Loop. <laughs>